all have a choice. Will I be ruined by regret or rise above it? Regret comes in all forms. We can all think of missed opportunities or loss. Maybe because of our choices or from the choices of others. But there is one who is at work within us. He takes our brokenness and makes us whole. He builds us. He restores us. Let us keep our eyes and heart on him because he is guiding us on the road back from regret. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back from Albania. I mean, welcome to me back from Albania. It's great to see you all here. Bring greetings from our sister church in Duras. We got a picture of these beautiful people on screen. Uh, Isn't that awesome? Give them a big hand. Absolutely. That's awesome. Woo! Hey, the work that we're doing in Albania is significant, and you'll hear more about it in weeks to come, but it is significant stuff. Uh, Our team did a great job. Big shout out to our missions pastor, Pete Michelle, who really dialed it all in for us. But we we have just a great honor uh, of working uh, with the grassroots movement there in Duras. As you can see, they are crowded out of their space. We've been able to help them purchase new property. We went back to help clear the land. You'll see more about that next week and weeks to come, and, uh, you know, getting ready to build a wall and build the church and, uh, you know, really trying to help make a great, great, uh, you know, uh, lighthouse beacon of hope in that particular part of the world. Uh, I came back uh, completely fluent in Albanian. Isn't that amazing? Turn to your neighbor and say, how does he do it? How does he do it? Uh, Perfectly fluent in two words is what I meant to say. And uh, it's the words for yes and no. How many know the words for yes and no? It's yo and po. How many knew that? Yes is po. No is yo. Turn to your neighbor and say, po yo, okay? Now, what makes it really confusing in Albania, and those that just came back from the trip know this, is the shaking of the heads is opposite. This means no. This means yes. So, uh, Pastor Caleb brought a great message last week, and I listened to it uh, here this week. It was fabulous. And in his uh, sermon, he gave an illustration how he worked three jobs, saved up money to buy a ring to propose to his uh, beautiful wife, Sierra. Imagine if he would have knelt on that knee and proposed to her and said, will you marry me? And she would have said, he would have started weeping and wailing. He would have been running as fast as he could. He'd still be running right now. He'd be so sad. Uh, Things can get confusing when you go to a foreign country, but what's not confusing is their devotion to Jesus Christ. Uh, This is a powerful, powerful group of people that love Jesus with all their heart. They live in a very dark place spiritually. You know, about 0.5% know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not 1%, 0.5 of 1%. And uh, there's not a lot of churches, there's not a lot of large churches, it's just a very different part of the world, and we were able to be there to make a difference, and we keep going back year after year. This is our fifth trip, and we continue to go back. We have a team going to Sumba, Indonesia in just a couple weeks, so we're very excited about what God is doing uh, through BCA around the world. Today we start a new series entitled The Road Back from Regret, Uh, Eight Steps to Overcoming Negative Emotions and Painful Experiences. And... uh, You know, I mentioned on Facebook this week that for me, the number one cause for people being derailed in their faith is is regret. Use whatever word you want, pain, suffering, problems, challenges, regret, past, hurts, you know, all those kinds of things. 
outside of people just kind of standing, I'm saying I'm just not going to believe in God anymore. Uh, but otherwise, people get weighed down so heavily with regret. Not able to overcome the problems and challenges of life. Why is it that some people rise above and some people are ruined by regret? That's what I want us to talk about. In the work that I do over and over and over and over again, this comes to my mind. And this has been something God laid on my heart about a year ago. And I've been praying and pondering, saying, God, I pray that over the course of these few weeks, we'll be able to repair and prepare people to deal with this very important topic. Within the sound of my voice, there are many people that are bound by regret and living just the half of the life that God has for them. God wants you, God wants me to rise above the regrets of our life. He wants us to live triumphantly for him. Can I hear a big amen? amen. Now, I'm going to have the ushers come down and hand out this bookmark. As uh, Lexi mentioned uh, on, on the video, uh, our team has done some great, great work in putting together a lot of resources. And you'll see the QR code. Go ahead and take a picture of that. It'll take you right to the website. On the front page of the website, you'll see the same uh, information. And, and I want to encourage you to match my intensity. Can I say it that way? I want you to match my intensity for these next eight weeks. And I want you to dive in with both feet every single day. On Monday, I'm going to bring a devotional recap. Tuesday, as you see here, live worship, pastor devotional on Wednesday. Thursday is going to be a live prayer time. And then, of course, the weekend challenge on Friday. On the reverse side, you'll see the eight steps of the road back to regret coming from the life and journey of Nehemiah as well as the teachings of Jesus, Paul, and others. I want to encourage you to just really uh, prepare and repair. Allow Christ to do something very significant in your life. But not just in your life. I want you to be thinking of someone you can share this series with. Invite them to join you online. Go out of your way to sit with them, meet with them. You may say, hey, I'm going through life and it's going really great. Well, that's awesome. But you know somebody where life is really, really challenging. And I want to encourage you to take it upon yourself to be a blessing to someone else. Daniel Pink wrote a book uh, a few years ago entitled The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. And I love that title because I really believe God wants to redeem our regret. God wants to help us rise above our regret. God wants us to move to a brand new level in our Christian faith. He doesn't want us to wallow beneath it all. He wants us to rise above and move forward. And I want to encourage you throughout this first session to really think about that. He does in this book talk about a survey, a world regret survey, where he uh, uh, interviewed, and, and I read many of the results, interviewed thousands and thousands of people from 105 different countries who all uh, submitted their regrets, and he cataloged them in many different categories, uh, many different domains to start with, as you might guess, you know, family-related, job-related, moral-related, you know, financial-related, and about 10 or 12 different broad domains. And then he boiled it down to four different categories. Can you guess what those might be? Here they are. The first is foundation regrets. This is where you, are, uh, you fail to be responsible and make good decisions. You get to retirement, you look back and say, why didn't I save adequately for retirement? You look back in life and say, why didn't I go to school, uh, really put in the effort, you know, so I'd be prepared right now, etc." Boldness regrets. These are a failure to risk more. Start that business. You know, step out and you know, complete that education. You know, uh, you know, get married. You know, whatever the case might be. Moral regrets. We understand that in the church. 
This is where, you know, we would say you, you break God's law, you disobey, you, you break the Ten Commandments, behave poorly, make poor choices. And then connection regrets. This is all relationship related. Failure to reach out. You know, maybe you uh, had a classmate from high school that uh, you heard about, you know, uh, you're real good friends with, but now they have cancer and you don't reach out, you don't reach out, and then you find out they pass away and you regret that you didn't make the effort. Or maybe there's a relationship that is broken, there's a schism, and uh, you know you need to reach out, you know, but, but you don't repair that relationship. We could go on and on. You know, four different categories of regrets. I like to think of regrets really in just three categories. You know, uh, things that, uh, you know, others do to us, you know, relational things where people hurt us and break us and bruise us, and maybe it's family of origin this, or maybe it's, you know, uh, any number of things. Things that uh, happen to us, like uh, Hurricane Ian and cancer and, you know, things that we have no control over. And then things we do to ourselves, you know, missed opportunities as well as sins we commit. And we're going to really dive into sins and repentance next week. That's step number two. Regrets cause sadness, longing, sorrow, disappointment, hurt, pain, hollowness. And what I want us to do is I want us just to think for a few moments here today about our own regrets. Very few of us are going to go through life with the regrets that uh, Edie Ager experienced her entire life. At age 16, she was sent to Auschwitz. As she stood in the lines, she saw one line going this way and one line going that way, and it was her sister, herself, and her mother, and they came to the front of the line, and a question was asked, and she responded, a response she will forever regret. The question was, are you sisters? She said, no, this is my mom. And the older women were taken to the left and the, right, uh, the other women were taken to the right, the younger women. The left led to the gas chamber. She thought for the rest of her life, what if I would have said nothing? What if I would have said, no, this is my sister? She lived with the regret of her mother's death the rest of her life. Soon after they made it through the line, she was asked to dance for Yosef Mengele, dance for his amusement and for her survival. She experienced so much brutality at the hand of soldiers. She was starved, beaten, abused, humiliated, while at the same time witnessing abuse and brutality, even death upon others. Few of us will ever experience that kind of regret, but we all have our own. We all have our own. And only we can decide if we're going to rise above it in the power of Christ or if we're going to be subdued and buried by it. Only you choose and only I choose for ourselves. How did Nehemiah deal with regret? Instead of acquiescing to the captivity of the enemies and the, de the destruction that the enemy caused to his people, the Israelites, he decided that he would lead his Israelites on the road back from regret, even to restoration and redemption. I see eight steps that I want to walk us through, and I want you to really personalize it. I want you to personalize these lessons and these messages. I know I'm talking today, people within the sound of my voice, both online, in traditions, early service earlier today, this service here, the main service right now, people that'll catch the message on the web that find their lives broken in a hundred pieces. 
Some are devastated by divorce. Some are broken by the loss of their family for various reasons. Some are impaled by adultery, crushed by cancer, fractured by a faith crisis, hopeless because of financial setback, crippled by emotional trauma, gutted by grief and loss, shattered by unfulfilled dreams or missed opportunities. Did you listen to those words? Devastated, broken, impaled, crushed, fractured, hopeless, crippled, gutted, shattered. Those are real negative emotions that real people in our church family face, and I could probably give you names for almost all of those. But I may not know you, and I may not know your story, but what I do know is that every single one of us, from me to you to the person in front of you to the person behind you, has regret. And so the question isn't do we have regret, the question is what are we going to do with it? Are we going to stay lost in the woods, the forest, the wilderness forever and ever and ever? Or are we going to rise above? Nehemiah did a reality check. That's step number one. He faced the facts. He realized what was going on. He did a little bit of study, did a little research. He asked the question he didn't really want to know, but he already knew and he asked the question he wanted to come to grips what's going on what's happening here I need to know how far we've fallen so I know how we can rise let's read the words together here in verse number one chapter one all together out loud the words of Nehemiah son of Hakaliah in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah and some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. There are three facts we need to understand about regret that are inspired, at least to me, by the story of Nehemiah and the other Bible writers. The first one is this. We've already said it. Everyone experiences regret. You say, hey, I buy into the bravado. No regret, no regret. No, you're just confused. (laughs) The reality is, if we think about it carefully and we think about it deeply, like Nehemiah did when he asked those questions, we all have missed opportunities, missteps, mistakes we've made, etc., And if we were truly honest with ourselves, we would be able to articulate very clearly what those regrets are. Some super serious, maybe some not quite as much. You see, each of the people in the Bible, think about it, from Noah to Stephen to Esther to Mary to Peter to Paul, you know, every single one has a regret of one kind or another. But each of them had a chance and a choice. They had a chance because they were still alive. They could do something about it. And they had a choice. Will I rise above or will I be ruined by it? It's a powerful thought. Some brought it on themselves. Some were inflicted by others. Some, it was a result of living in a fallen world. But Nehemiah's story, the return of the captives to Jerusalem, is a powerful story of dealing with regret. If you look at First and Second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah, you have kind of this period of Bible history, and those would be great books to read. In fact, I encourage you to be sure to read throughout Nehemiah, throughout the course of this series. Some of you might want to read it every single week 
during these eight weeks. There's scriptures to read, scriptures to memorize, all of it here on the bookmark and the other resources. Zerubbabel came back first in 538 BC and he rebuilt the temple. Ezra came next and he began to rebuild spiritual life in Jerusalem. Then Nehemiah came on the scene last and he rebuilt the walls. But the thing to remember is you can have a temple and you can restore things spiritually, but if you do not have walls, you are a sitting duck in that particular time and that particular part of the, of the world. Because you're a sitting duck for the enemy to come in and steal away your wives and children and all of your uh, resources, all you worked hard for. If you don't have a wall, you don't have a city at all. Nehemiah knew that. He knew the disgrace. He knew the devastation. He knew the hurt. He knew the fear. He knew the turmoil. The temple had been destroyed earlier. The city uh, had been sacked. Capital city had been sacked. Foreign rulers were now in charge. The walls were destroyed. You cannot overstate how terrible it was. And at first glance, I think most people skim right over it. But it was worse than bad. There's a scripture tucked away in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that many of you have read before, and I want to refer to it in each of my three points here today. It says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, notice it doesn't say if, it says when. How many have faced a trial? How many have faced a problem? If your neighbor doesn't have their hand up, give them a sharp elbow right to the solar plexus. We all, when we face trials and troubles and experience regrets and problems, the question isn't if, the question is what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? You know, some are imposed upon us by others. Some are a part of this life, just live in a fallen world and disasters and diseases and all of that. And then there's moral mistakes we make. And again, we're going to talk about that in great detail next week. But the question I want to ask you, what regret, what regrets are you dealing with? And how about the people that are near and dear to you? What are they dealing with? And how might God use you to help them? You know, one of the things that uh, we were really excited to do was to uh, head back and uh, get involved in starting to clear the land, knock down an old wall, get ready to build a new wall, uh, you know, work with the excavation team and really kind of, uh, you know, prepare the, the, the land in Albania. Uh, we also uh, preached and testified in churches. We worked with children, youth, did compassion work. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. But one of the main, main things, in fact, the main thing for me was the pastor's retreat that we did uh, uh, over the weekend. 35 pastors and uh, spouses came together, and our team did a great job in uh, doing the children's ministry. Half of them went that direction. The other half worked with uh, the youth ministry. Just did fabulous, loved on those kids. So that mom and dad, the parents, could be with me in the sessions where we really focused on uh, uh, encouraging them and inspire them to do their work. And there were 35. Macedonia, Kosovo, uh, some were in and out of Montenegro, you know, most of them from Albania, a missionary that was in Albania from Italy. You know, just a, an incredible uh, collection of folks. Many of them pastoring churches of 15 to 20 people. The soil is very hard there, spiritually speaking. A lot of persecution, a lot of oppression, a lot of difficulty. And in talking with our missionary, Kurt Plegenhoff, going in, I had a sense of what we were up against. And, uh, and I prayed hard, and I prayed long in preparation. And God laid some messages on my heart, and I 
We'd spend about 15 minutes in those hour and a half sessions. By the way, I like that hour and a half. I think we're going to change our sermons to an hour and a half around here. It seems to just go much better. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. Um, but about 15 minutes, we focused on leadership, you know, study the life of Abraham, Joseph, Joshua. And then we talked about the family. We talked about marriages. I know they're under strain and stress. And the one session that particularly jumps out to me is a session that I prayed Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus for them. And Paul prayed for uh, inner strength. And I just reminded them of what they already know and what we all know, that God gives us strength internally for the challenges at hand. I talked about the abiding presence of Jesus Christ. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us, for us, in front of us, and behind us. Can I hear a big amen to that? I talked about the unquenchable love of Jesus Christ for them. I talked about the divine purpose that they were carrying out with great commitment. I talked about the assurance, absolute assurance we have in Jesus Christ who will never, ever, ever abandon us. He is with us every step of the way. And as I spoke, not because of me, because of the Holy Spirit working in their life, tears were flowing and people were just being touched by the assurances of God. And we closed each session in prayer. And they gathered in circles and prayed and hugged and wept. At the end of the session, a couple of uh, young ministers came up and their wives. And I particularly remember one of the wives with just tears rolling down her face. She was just thankful and appreciative of some things that were shared. And if you look at the next couple of pictures, you'll see pictures of those young couples. You know, my heart just went out to them. These were the ages of my kids. And just thinking of the financial pressure, the spiritual pressure, the oppression, the difficulty, yeah, it just really touched me deeply. Touched me deeply. I learned of one couple, not pictured here, but one couple who came uh, planning to divorce. They just couldn't handle each other. They couldn't handle the ministry. They couldn't handle it anymore. But they left with a renewed hope of believing and trusting Christ to help them work through their regrets. There were two ministers that said, I didn't want to come. In fact, we want to quit. But, you know, God has spoken to us and we want to continue. Regrets, pain, problems, trials, challenges. You know, a lot of times we think we're the only ones going through stuff. I mean, intellectually, we know that's not true, but we fall into this self-centric despair zone where, man, I got it tough, and we look around, we read Facebook and social media, and everybody's got it going good, except me. You know, we see the best of other people, and we don't know what's going on in their life, but we know what's going on in our life, and it's not good. And we fall into the deep depths of despair, and we get overwhelmed and overrun and, and burdened down by it. And that's true whether you're here in the state of Washington or you're living in Albania or anywhere in between. Everybody experiences grief. So we have a choice. It's not whether we can experience it or not, but what are we going to do with it? We can either look back like Lot's wife and be paralyzed by the past. Let's take a look at that next slide. We can be paralyzed by the past or we can look forward to the future, like Paul did. 
Lot's wife was told not to look back to Sodom and Gomorrah. What did she do? She looked back. To me, that has always been a metaphor for don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Give the past to Christ. Don't live in the past. Be like Paul. Forgetting what is behind, I strain to what is ahead. He learned from the past, but he didn't live there. And it was all present and future for him. Let's move forward in Christ. Let's move forward in Christ. So we have a chance and a choice. Am I going to choose to wallow? in the pain of regret, or am I gonna rise above? Number two, some are ruined by regret, others rise above it. Why is that? Nehemiah chose not to be ruined by the ruins of Jerusalem. He chose, he decided, he passionately determined that he was gonna rise above and lead the people forward, and that inspires me. Think about it, just stop for a moment, think about your own life. In what areas and what ways are you being buried by the past, by regret, missed opportunities, missteps, mistakes? In what areas are you still being deep-sixed by the past? And where do you need the power of Christ to give you freedom to move forward in his mighty name? Where do you need to forgive yourself? Where do you need to overcome? James said, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We know that God is at work in our life. He knows he wants us to persevere. And so we choose not to be ruined by regret, but to rise above it, knowing that God's at work in us and he wants us to persevere and grow and mature and be the person he's called us to be. Warts and all, stains and all, mistakes and all. God never gives up on us. How many are thankful for that? We give up on ourselves. God forgives us. We don't forgive ourselves. I don't know who I'm talking to here today, but I know I'm speaking to a lot of us. We have got to put our eyes on Jesus and allow his forgiveness to totally cleanse our lives. He who the Son sets free is free indeed, liberated, set free by the power of Christ. Remember Edie Ager, Holocaust survivor? Edie was pulled from a pile of corpses. Just think about that. Pulled from a pile of corpses when the American troops liberated the camp in 1945. She spent decades struggling with flashbacks and survivor's guilt. Why was I able to live? She determined to stay silent and hide from the past. 35 years later, three and a half decades later, she returned to Auschwitz. And only then was she able to finally, finally forgive, fully and finally forgive the person that had caused her the most trouble, and that was herself. She had so many regrets. She went on to become a world-renowned clinical psychologist specializing in post-traumatic stress syndrome. At age 90, listen, at age 90, she published her first book entitled The Choice. What a great title. We all have a choice. We have a chance and a choice. Embrace the possible. I ordered the book because I wanted to read it, and my wife stole it from me. She's a book thief. <laughs> she read it first, but only had to wait two days. She's a fast reader, and then I gobbled it up, and I got a copy for my mom, and I think she read it in two days. It's riveting. It's powerful. And it's not even, you know, a Christian book. It's just the power of person overcoming 
She resolved to rise above. So must we. You know, Paul talked a lot about this kind of thing. I'm really, really inspired by 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. You know why I use so much alliteration around here? Because it's biblical. Look at all those P words. Pressed, perplexed, persecuted. Isn't that marvelous? He said struck down. You should have said pummeled. How many think that would have been a good idea? (laughs) He talks about the fragility of his humanity, but the glory of the Spirit and the future life in Christ. He talked about how Christ is revealed in our suffering. And then he goes on to say in these immortal words, verses 16, 17, and 18, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we may be wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary trouble, no matter how big our problems are, and they may be bigger than life, and we may not want to describe them as light and momentary, but when compared to the weight, the heaviness of everlasting life and glory with Jesus, it's pretty minuscule compared to that. He draws that comparison powerfully. He says, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Finally and quickly, we need to choose to move forward. We need to find our way forward. We need to find the road out of the wilderness and forest of regret and find recovery and redemption. Nehemiah chose not to get bitter. He chose to ask the hard questions to figure out really what was the status, what's going on. He faced the facts. He faced the facts. He was honest with himself, honest with God, honest with himself, honest with other people. He believed God could take their repentant hearts and redeem them. Reminds me of the fourth verse in that James chapter two passage. Finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature complete, not lacking anything. Whatever your regrets may be, remember they represent a season of your life, not the full story of your life. I had a conversation with an individual about this thing recently. I said, what you're going through, what you have gone through is a season. It's not the story. Do not let it define you. Not now, not even kind of. Give that to Jesus Christ. Allow him to give you the power to overcome, to rise above and to move forward. That does not define you. It's descriptive of a season. It's part of your story, but it is not the whole story. God wants to move you to the final chapter. There's another chapter to be written. Do not stop before the final chapter. The final chapter is where Christ works in us and helps us overcome to where we grow and mature and persevere and become more like him. There's another chapter. Do not Let the book be incomplete. Trust him. Trust him with all your heart. There was a woman in Luke chapter 8, verses 43 to 48, who had an impassioned faith. You remember the story. This is the woman with the blood disease, and she was insignificant to everybody in the world. No family, no friends, 
She was told to live outside the city. She was contaminated. She was broken. She was useless. Her future was impossible. She heard it every day from everywhere and from everyone. But one day she heard about this Jesus moving through the city, walking the streets of Jerusalem, touching, healing, raising people up. And she said, what if, what if, imagine if. And she broke all protocol, all rules. She snuck into the city. She pressed into the crowd. She elbowed her way through the crowd. She fell at Jesus' feet, touched the bottom of her coat. And immediately the Bible says, Jesus said, who touched me? He recognized healing power. It flowed from him. And almost in an expression of mockery, the disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? There's a ton of people pushing you. He said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Someone exercised impassioned faith and touched me with belief. And the woman said, it was I. It was I. It was me. He said, woman, your faith has healed you. And the insignificance and the impossibility disappeared. And she was healed. I don't know what your impossibility might be today. I don't know where you might feel insignificant. I don't know where you feel beaten up, beaten down, and hopeless. But I'm here to remind you that the same Jesus who healed that woman, the same Jesus is here today, and he is for you today. Can you say amen to that? And he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask or imagine. Let me close with this illustration. I was thinking about a mirror. Maybe it's a handheld mirror that we drop and it breaks into two or three pieces. If the pieces stay in, you still have the crack, it's still broken, but you know, you might get some use out of it. And if the pieces are big enough, you know, you might be able to glue it back into place. And you know, it's not ideal, probably wouldn't use it forever, but, but you know, it has some functionality. So not all parts of the illustration may work, but, but I think the main part does. You can use that mirror forever, but you're always going to see the cracks. It's broken. But, you know, you might be able to use it a little bit if that's all that you have. To me, it's analogous in at least one way to our lives. All of us are broken. All of us walk with a limp. All of us have regrets. And as long as you use that mirror, you'll always see the cracks. And as long as we live this life, we'll always have the cracks. Jesus doesn't heal and change us and then all of a sudden our past history is eliminated from our memory. We're just reminded of how he's redeemed us from whatever our past regrets are. But there's something else. Jesus can make something beautiful out of broken glass. Just like the artists take broken glass and they put the most beautiful, beautiful scenes and pictures together. God can take the brokenness of our life and make something beautiful. And that is what I want us all to hold on to. That's what I want us all to embrace. That's what I want us all to believe with all of our hearts. I invite you to bow your heads and just close your eyes for a moment. 
Just think about your regrets and your brokenness. God heals our lives and we move forward and certainly our past and some of our pain becomes a part of who we are. We've recovered from cancer. We've worked through a divorce. We've overcome missteps of one kind or another. Those represent seasons of our life, painful. But now God wants us to persevere and grow and rise above. With every head bowed and every eye closed, here, online, and in the chapel, how many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm dealing with some regret that I really want to overcome. I really want to overcome. I want to rise above, not be ruined by it, but I need the help of the Lord. Would you just lift your hand, hold your hand high for a moment? all over this place. And I'm sure many online, and I'm sure many in the chapel, just like there were many in the first service today. Lord, you see our hands, you know our regrets, you know our hurt, you know our pain, you know the things that we are trying to overcome, but we need you, we need your help, Lord. I pray for some that are dealing with it in their marriage. Some are dealing with it in their family. Some are dealing with other areas of their life. God Almighty, I pray that you will reach into our impossibilities and you'll bring healing and hope in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Do, Lord, what only you can do. How many are here who would say, Pastor Rob, I need to commit or recommit my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've known the Lord in the past and you're just sitting here saying, I, I, I need to commit either for the first time or I need to recommit my life to Jesus. I need to be serious about this faith thing. I wanna follow this loving Jesus the rest of my life. Would you just raise your hand all over this place, online, in the chapel, right here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I ask online and in person, if you just take a moment, I'm gonna close this prayer in just a moment, but would you take a moment before you leave just to fill out one of those connection cards? If you're online, it's easy, it's right in front of you there. Just let me know about that commitment. I wanna be praying for you. Lord, we need you, we desperately need you, but the beautiful thing, Lord, is you are available to us. Just like the woman with the blood disease, God, you're available to every single one of us to heal us and help us rise up and overcome. I want to invite everybody to stand with me here in the worship center as we pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus Christ, from the bottom of my heart for the power we know that is available to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, I pray for everybody, every single person within the sound of my voice, that God, you will help us be inspired within, not to be ruined by rejection, but to rise above it through the power of Jesus Christ. We learn from the past, but we don't live there. We live in the present and the future, trusting Jesus step by step as we work through and work out our faith. I want to invite here in the worship center our prayer team to come forward. We're going to sing a closing song. I'm going to ask the tradition service pastors to come forward to lead and our online pastor to lead at this point. But here in the worship center, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, I want to encourage you to step out from where you are and just come forward for prayer. And maybe it's for yourself, but you know, it might be for someone else. 
If you're like me, you know of people that are just being besieged by the pain of past regret. And I just wanna encourage you to join me in praying, whether they're in Alabama or whether they're here in America. We all know of people that are struggling, besieged, pounded, ravaged by regret. Let's pray for deliverance in Jesus' name. Let's sing and then we'll close our service in a moment.